Hi, this is Jim. And this is Max. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 23, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow my work at Michael Kist NFL on Twitter. As always, joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. 8-Year Streak Without a Bad Day, Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, extremely frustrating game to watch. How you doing, brother? Every day is a good day to be alive. Important to remember in dark and troubling times like these. More disappointing Tennessee loss or this loss? I think this one. This one. This yeah, one was more frustrating. There was more chances there. I felt and just overall a much different feel to this twenty-three to twenty-one loss. We'll get into it. What about you? How do you feel about it? I feel like this one's more disappointing, probably because it's the second of the two, right? Like, uh, duh. It's like a snowball kind of thing. Yeah, and I also feel like it was much easier to parse out just like the heartbreaking, crushing, stupid mistakes this time compared to last time where they were a little bit more like contrived and you had to tease them out. Like it's very clear when, when, you know, you have a, a third down drop in the red zone, like what that's going to do, you know, when you have a fumble at the five yard line, you know, what that, what that's going to do. When you have a, uh, uh, a, a fumble that was returned for a touchdown. Cause it just landed in the lap of like a 300 pound dude. Like, you know, <laughs> these are just things that's like, you know, that that it's just um, it it kind of takes the the wind out of your sails, I suppose. Like I feel as if the Eagles strung together three good plays, only to have one bad play, just all game long. That's a very deflating feeling at the end of the day. Like um, you know, like uh, Isaac Samuelo and Michael Bennett aren't talking in the locker room, and you know, you that that's a little bit difficult, but you can kind of understand it because like it's just like. It, the Eagles just could not help themselves in this game at all. It's very frustrating. It was like I was watching, you know, obviously we're going to dig into this game, but Philadelphia Eagles moved to two and three. And to your point, it was like watching the New York Giants earlier today where you get two or three plays and then you get the boneheaded play. And I was making fun of the Giants for it. And we come back and and here we go. We, we come out of half. We have the first half drive or the second half drive, the first drive that we have in that in that half. And it's. Run, run, run. You know, you're having offensive line issues. So you come out in the second half and you get them moving forward. You give them a reason to attack. You start getting physical. And I, and I like that mentality. And, I, and I'm not, you know, a guy that's like, you have to establish the run. But at the same time, you know, if it's not working with the pass game, you got to mix it up a little bit, get them in that aggressive mentality. And it, and it worked. And then Jay Ajayi fumbles inside the five yard line. And then the, the Dell Hunter sack against Lane Johnson in the next drive that kills that drive. And it was just, over and over and over again, shooting ourselves in the foot, and we and we get to uh, what what the later drive in the in the fourth quarter after the the fumble where the, it was the swing pass and it was a lateral, it was a fumble. Bradham goes and recovers it, and then what do we do? We get an illegal formation, we get a grounding call, we don't get any points out of it. That was our yep. that was our spot right there 
to go win the ball game. And we can talk about the Michael Bennett thing and the roughing the passer. That all oh, that's great. Like, okay, yeah, I don't agree with the penalty whatsoever. That's how they're calling it. It sucks. I thought it was fine because he hit him in the butt and then he slid down and he grabbed him by the legs and he didn't put any weight on him. And Kirk Cousins, you know, protected himself too in the situation. Mm-hmm. I thought the hit was fine. I am not going to blame this game on that play because there were plenty of other situations in where the Eagles could have taken advantage and they shot themselves in the foot every single time and they didn't deserve to win because of it. Like so you brought up the uh, like the, the grounding thing and I think that's like my big thing is you I think there are a lot of positive performances. I think you can easily circle Carson Wentz as a mm-hmm. really positive performance. He made some incredible plays. He had some incredible escapes. He's looking more and more like himself week in and week out. That throw to Shell and Gibson was gorgeous and it will go underappreciated because he was throwing into double coverage and there's nowhere you can really put the ball in double coverage to protect it perfectly but he put that on the back of the corner on the outside kept it away from the closing safety which is the highest percentage spot for his receiver just gorgeous you know what I mean even throws across the middle to Zach Ertz and Alshon Jeffrey, the drop on third and 20 for Jeffrey uh, there was one under pressure that kind of hit Ertz on one outstretched hand you know, like these are really, really well placed throws under a lot of duress. Carson looks great there. There was one big issue, and it was holding the ball for too long and taking a key intentional grounding penalty yeah. when you had finally gotten a turnover. The, the Vikings had scored ten points off turnovers to this point in the game. It had been the big difference, and you take that grounding and you push yourself out of field position, out of uh, field goal position. And it's twenty, and it's twenty to fourteen, and you could have made it twenty to seventeen if you get a field goal. That's massive. That's big. Absolutely. And then you, and then you have. I think Doug Peterson had a great game. And I understand that many people have already told me, uh, like, where, you know, small balls Doug, where did Doug put his big balls, da 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 I had one person ask me, at, uh, at what point do we start worrying about Doug? <laughs> like, in 2020, guys, like, he could coach like this every game, and I wouldn't get worried. Well, hold, well, hold on, Ben. Just just on that note, this is the same dude that, that went for a two-point conversion when it was 20-12 to 12 after that Smallwood touchdown. Like, that's not a conventional decision to make. He was right. very aggressive in that manner. And as far as the one where we where we punted went, like, we don't know. And I'm expecting to hear something about this in the, in the press conference about not kicking there and punting instead. Mm-hmm. I'm going to assume that he's going to say Jake Elliott told us his range before the game. And that was not within his range on this day for field condition reasons, wind at that end of, the, end of the stadium, whatever it may be. If Elliott had told them before the game that he could hit from that range, I'm pretty confident that they would have kicked from that range. So I don't like yeah. not being aggressive on a fourth and 20 and your kicker can't make it like I don't what that's so stupid. My my biggest thing is this and I think this is some a point that needs to be hit home to to everybody in every profession with every fandom ever. What you would do is not what is right to do all of the time. You know what I mean? <laughs> like what would you do? I absolutely would have put Elliot out there to kick the field goal. Right. Just, that's what that's 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 what I think should have happened. It's not my job. Like, I'm not paid millions of dollars and have a giant ring and a trophy indicating that my job is to know what to do in those circumstances. And if we are going to love and praise Doug for all of his fourth and four attempts at the 45, and we're going to mock other teams' coaches when they don't do those those things, then we have to acknowledge that whatever decision-making model he employs, that model very, very likely, 99% certainty, told him, Listen, best move on fourth and twenty is punt the football. Right, right. And I put his team out there to go get see if he could get fourth and fifteen. Maybe trying to move the five yards up, and then that changes the model. Now we're kicking the field goal, fifty three yards, a lot more manageable. 
I mean, that distance kind of matters when you get that, you know, five yards is a big deal when you're in the 50s. Uh, you know, uh, Vikings ended up spending a timeout because they had no idea how to potentially handle a fourth and 20 attempt because Mike Zimmer wanted to emphasize to them, make sure you don't jump, whatever it was. Right. You know, like that, you would have done something differently. So you're frustrated as a fan. But at some point, you have to acknowledge that, like, the, the people on the field, the people in the profession likely know what they're doing. You know, and, and, and when there's been positive returns from Doug Peterson for an entire season, then we can give him a little bit of a benefit of the doubt. So I think the, the, the two things that you really question Doug on in this game, number one, uh, I think that just a, a, I think a naked toss to Josh Adams on third and one is just another great example of those plays. Like I, I think about the third down screens that Doug likes to run, where really I just wish uh, there was a way you, we could parse out the percent chance of, of converting on third in any distance and then what the percent chance of converting on third in that distance is when you throw the ball behind the line of scrimmage. Because either clearly the mm. numbers are very in favor of that, the Eagles just can't execute it for some reason, or two, that's some sort of like, a, 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 you know, just out coaching yourself. Like, oh, you know what we'll do? We'll go naked, you know, like, like a, a pitch with no blocking with our fourth string running back because that'll, or fifth string running back. Because that'll like fool everybody. We'll get him. You know, just you want you, the he, he's a two hundred thirty seven pound quarterback. Put the ball up the middle. That's exactly what I was gonna say. You, you know what's undefeated right now so far in his career, and I'm not saying it absolutely one hundred percent would have worked on the third and one. Carson Wentz sneaking it. He's fantastic at those. Just just yeah. like it seems, it seems so simple to us. And like you said, you wonder what what the data is telling him and if they had something that they saw that they thought they could exploit something there. So yeah, I, I definitely get your point there. The other yeah. thing that I want to clarify too, real quick, is that the decision to challenge the Stefan Diggs catch, which is another thing that people are going to criticize Doug Peterson for, is not a decision coming from Doug Peterson. It's coming from the booth. They're telling him to challenge it. He did. It was a bad challenge. We lost a timeout yeah. that we could have used. Right. That was, that was my other one, which is like, I don't know what percentage you put it on on Peterson because I don't know what percentage it belongs to him. And he's, there's 0% chance he ever answers that on uh, like a presser or whatever. He's never going to be like, yeah, the you know Kevin up in the booth said challenge it and he has 100% autonomy. Like that might be it. Right. But Doug's never going to admit that because he never is going to want to like put that guy under the bus like that. But that was an awful challenge and we need that timeout. So those are the things I think uh, you question there. But really – I thought Doug was, was calling a fine game in the first half. It was mm -hmm. obviously a little bit pass heavy. There's no doubt about it. But they were throwing the ball quite well and quite effectively. The pass protection was breaking down. And I think once Peterson got his head around that, which it was at half that he did, and you could say he, you know, you'd like for him to get his head around that earlier, his head around that quicker. Okay, if you like that, you like that. They come out and they run the ball very effectively in the second half. And I think that really did a lot for the offensive line. You know what I mean? Like these guys were struggling in pass protection now for the third straight week. Well, you let them just run forward and hit some people, right? And that kind of just settles you and that gets you back into your groove and it gets you back into that aggressor's mindset. And then coming out into the third, the Eagles were calling a beautiful game. I thought that the, the designs that we talked about with the reduced splits and being able mm -hmm. to attack the flats was a very strong aspect of the game. You saw a heavy amount of of running backs catching the football there, Mike. You saw Wendell Smallwood get very involved in the passing game. Obviously, like we said, there was that big pass that didn't go too well. But overall, uh, you know, three receptions for 44 yards, give another reception five yards to Jay Ajayi. That's 50 yards on 44 catches for the Eagles running backs, which is 
what we anticipated them kind of doing, attacking those flat areas. I thought the play, the the um, the play designs, the play calling was fine. Yeah. Uh, we could have a conversation about red zone play design because if I had to guess as to a spot at which the Eagles are missing DeFilippo and Reich the most, mm. it would be there. Uh, but I think that's a conversation for probably an All-22 review later in the week. I think overall play calling was fine, as you'd expect it to be on the offensive side. What was disappointing was the execution. I like the play calling from a standpoint of early on they looked ready to deal with with the blitz looks that they were going to get, which were going to be an issue. Now, we can talk all day about guys getting beat one-on-one, which we have Isaac Siamalu in there getting beat within the first three plays by Limpel Joseph, just like you called on this show. So you can gloat about that. if you feel, I don't want to gloat about that. I know. It's exhausting. That's, that's what I figured. So we're going to move right past it, and we're going to go to uh, the, the fact that, I mean, I remember early on in the game, they had Dallas Goddard detached to the right side. They saw the double mug look. They saw Harrison Smith toying around in you know around the line and they motion Goddard in and Goddard ended up taking that blitz from Harrison Smith where normally it would be the running back and they released the running back and they blocked everything else up I thought that was fantastic that was showing that we know what we're going to get and if we see something pre-snap we're going to be able to change our alignment and take care of that because that was one of the big you know blitzes that we were concerned about especially with Harrison Smith now, I, I wanted to get to Wendell Smallwood uh, real, real quick. Ben, did you think that that wheel touchdown that brought us to 20-12 to 12 before the two-point conversion was a catch? I, I, I'll put it this way. I knew it was a catch under the 2018 rules of a catch, <laughs> and that's all that mattered to me. Like, you know, uh, the, the turning upfield point was a good point. You know what I mean? They said, like, he didn't really get a third step down, which is, like, another, like, point that could have been made. But I thought he had, like two feet and then a knee down and an elbow down. So there's that. Um, But no, like uh, once I saw the replay from the pylon angle, the back pylon, I kind of said, yeah, like under the new rules, that should be a catch. So I feel good about that. And then shout out Smallwood coming right back on the two point conversion. I was positive Sendejo had him. I was like, Wendell Smallwood has never broken this tackle (laughs) in his entire life. And he did. And that was huge. Solely because if they did not pick that up, I was going to have to listen to Joe Buck and Troy Aikman question that decision for the rest of the game. Right. And I was going to want to put two in my skull because that would have been ridiculous. So let's talk offensive line, Mike, because I feel like even though the offensive line shored up a bit into the second half, uh, that was really the focus uh, on the first half and a lot of the consternation from Eagles fans and a lot of the issues for the team. I don't know about you. I don't think Isaac Selmo played any better than Steven Wisniewski uh, at all. No, I would definitely not say that. And and getting destroyed a couple of times. And and, and I've got love for the fact that he got toasted on the first drive. Three pressures on three pass rushing snaps. And then came back and was not terrible for the rest of the game. Like that could have mentally destroyed him. And he bounced back nicely. We've seen it with Halapuli Vatai where he goes down early in a pitch count. And he yeah. never works himself back out of it. So that right. there's one thing, and that's something that we got to look at the we'll look at the, the game in the film, and, and we'll see mm-hmm. over the life of the game if he improved a little bit more. But that just it stings, and it sticks in the back of your mind that right in the beginning, boom, there it is, and that's what people are going to think about and focus on. So uh, overall, yeah, I think you're right. In the second half, they got right a little bit more. Jason Peters still seems dinged up, still still doesn't seem like he's 100%. Lane Johnson giving up another clean sack, this time to Danell Hunter after giving up. One it, of was, his... uh, it wasn't Danell Hunter, man. Who was it? It was 91 Robertson. It was that backup who's been in for Griffin. Who? 
91. You don't even know his name. <laughs> you I, made that up. I, 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 I'm 69% sure. What's his that full his name? His last name is Robertson. You're talking about Robeson? Maybe it's Robeson. He's not on the 91. team. 91. Stephen Weatherly. See? Robertson. <laughs> Fudge. How, yeah, Lane getting beat clean like that. It was, I think it was like an inside swim move. Listen, uh, here's my take. It's take very it. simple. After Samuel was getting pantsed, yeah. the Eagles started sliding right with their pass protection a lot, which kind of let, you're playing Jason Peters on an island and Samuel just kind of stayed tied to Kelsey. Uh, and that was just kind of adjusting for the way that Minnesota was bringing pressure. Right. Now, when you're the left end, so you're going up against the right tackle and the lane is sli- the line is sliding to the right, you are not going to be able to win the edge, period, right? Like you, it, you the, the line is sliding to the right. So Lane is oversetting to the edge, oversetting to the outside. Your only win path is to the inside, right? Yeah. On that play, Lane set hard outside because the slide was to the right. Brandon Brooks, Lane expected Brooks to continue coming to the side with him. Brooks got attacked by the three tech and had to engage him. And then 91 Weatherly hit that little inside swim in the space vacated by Lane, right? That's good in-game scouting, either by the defensive line coach or by... 91 Weatherly, who says, because the slide's coming, I have to hit the inside move if I want to win this, right? Right. And given the way the three-tech crashed down onto Brooks, it would seem that that was a coordinated effort. Look, uh, my, my biggest thing is this. Lane had, from memory, I can remember three distinct plays where I was really impressed, impressed with Lane's pass protection. Mm-hmm. I can remember one play where I was really unimpressed, mm-hmm. and it was that one. You're not going to notice when offensive linemen do a good job. You don't notice it. If you're not watching for it, you're not going to notice it. So, of course, Lane looks terrible. The only two plays that you can remember are his two sacks. Why? Because that's the only time that they got replayed seven different angles, 45 (laughs) different times, and Carson was on the ground because of it. Now, we're going to go, like, evaluating offensive line play off the broadcast film is very, very difficult, especially when you don't get those replays because that's not, like, the sexy part of offensive football. So when we go back to the the All-22 and we take a look at how Lane performed, obviously we're going to recalibrate and see if he really struggled that much. But he gave up one sack on a really high-quality play by a Minnesota defensive lineman and by the defensive unit. And other than that, I thought he killed it. Yeah, me too. And, me too. and so you ha- I, I, there was a beat reporter, and I can't remember who it is. I wouldn't say who it was if I remembered it, but if I would, I would be more sharp about it there was a beat reporter who who suggested that it was time to bench lane and put in vitae that nonsense, is nonsense wow. guys we right. cannot be at that point with with our quote-unquote analysis uh, we, we we just cannot this is this is not yeah. if, if you watch the whole performance from lane i can guarantee you it is nowhere near to that type of panic level that's insane to me people need to like calm it down a bit and stop trying to find the fresh new angle of what's wrong with this team and trying to make it worse through decisions like that because that's that's wild okay ben sorry go ahead but it's good that you react that way because this is the salient point the eagles are two and three they have scored 103 points they have allowed 104 points they beat a falcons team who was good at the time because they were a lot healthier Mm. Um, now is really falling apart. Yeah, you know, uh, they lost to a Tampa Bay team that was on fire at the time. Uh, they dropped one to a Titans team who is impossible to figure out. They dropped one, or they beat the Colts, which is a game they should have won. And now they dropped one to a Minnesota team that was equally as desperate for a win. Yeah, we know nothing about 
are the Eagles going to win the division? Yeah, probably still. They're so comfortably the most talented team in the division. And it's not like there's anybody 5-0 and or 4-1 and right now. The best team that can be are the 3-1 and Redskins. If they beat the Saints on Monday night, they already have had their bye. The Eagles would be one and a half games back. This division is going to come down to the divisional games, but yeah. Right. So my, my, my point is like the Eagles beat themselves against the Titans and beat themselves against the Vikings. If they executed to the caliber we come, we came to expect in 2018 or in the 2017-2018 season, then they would have likely won those two games. By the same token, if they were executing worse and making more mistakes, they could have easily lost the Colts game and the Falcons game. You know, like everybody likes to argue this team is two plays away from being one and four. Team's also like three plays away from being four and one. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's been it's hell. Been they almost they almost got the onside kick. They almost got the it onside. Been it was close. <laughs> a razor's edge for this team in terms of execution and tipping point plays. And right? and here's the thing: there was last year too. Amen. There wasn't the typical 2017 old fashioned blowouts that we had last year that that we were able to run through a bunch of teams. But there were a lot of games that we could have lost very easily look at the Giants one if uh, if Elliot doesn't make that does that change the entire complexion of the season like there are so many small little plays and the Eagles played Russian roulette and people like I like to think about it like this if the Eagles had snuck out of the Vikings game and snuck out of the Tennessee game and the, the whole tone changes <laughs> right obviously the whole tone changes but it's crazy because I think we would be saying one of the big things we'd be saying is this Eagles team is pulling out wins despite the fact that they don't have Corey Clement and Darren Sproles and Mike Wallace and Matt Collins, and they have like They're so resilient, Ben. Diet. Can you believe right? how resilient crazy. this team it's is? It's crazy. amazing. Right. <laughs> but because they're losing, right. when we say- Oh, they're a mess. They're, they're disheveled. They, they can't get right. Yeah, they don't have Hollins. They don't have Wallace. They don't have Sproles. They don't have Clement. The response becomes, I mean, they should be able to overcome that. They should be able to overtake them. You know what I mean? So we which is, like- yeah, Which is fair too. Right. Absolutely. But it's the fact that like we, we, we have to- at this point in the season, be evaluating the breadth of work and process kind of outside of the results, simply because like if the Eagles truly are a Super Bowl hungover team that is struggling to execute and is crashing back down to earth and their talent level was greatly exacerbated in the 2017-2018 season, that will be proven over the breadth of the season, right. right? They will continue to lose games in sloppy fashions. They will continue to make small mistakes. Over this small sample size, a quarter of the season, essentially, right? I think that there's a very real case to be made that it's just like statistical noise, kind of analogously. It's just right. the chaos of playing in the NFL, making silly, stupid mistakes. The ball bounces badly a few bad ways. It doesn't go as far off Thielen's shoulder as it could have. It doesn't drop in front of Limbaugh Joseph instead of actually ending up in Limbaugh Joseph's hands. You know, it, the, 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 the difference of inches and of luck and of Lady Fortune kind of has a big hold on the record right now. The Tennessee game, it was 17-3, to and they ran a toss play to Derrick Henry, and Derrick Henry, to- De- Henry drops it. And Brandon Grant comes in, and it bounces off his feet. If he recovers that, that entire game changes. Yeah. That's luck. Right. <laughs> so, so we need to stop let, making these assumptions, these these wholesale assumptions about this team based on some close games. It is fair to criticize some players. Let's not get crazy with it. Let's put a bow on talking about chaos. Yeah. Because eventually chaos is just chaos. By simply saying, I, I, I do not believe there's any reason for panic. I do not believe the Eagles should be concerned or unfavored against the Giants who currently hold the number one pick in the NFL draft 
uh, in this upcoming game. Obviously, yes, the Giants put up 31 points on a Carolina team that I also don't think is very good. So that doesn't face me too much. Yeah, the Eagles come out there and really fall flat on their face against the Giants of Thursday Night Football in a key division game. Yes. And, you know, this team isn't kind of able to, to wake themselves up there. Well, we'll have ourselves a conversation. At this point, again, I, I, I'm not really willing to go to that spot yet. I, I was just telling someone, I was just talking with someone, they said, well, you know, when's, when's the panic? And I said, if they lose a close one to the Vikings, it's not time to panic. If they don't show up to play the New York Giants, then it's time to panic because that's a bad right. football team. I agree. Absolutely. And so uh, let's let's um let's go a little bit more into the plays. Let's go a little bit more into the scheme. Let's go a little bit more into the game. We got to talk defense. Yeah, we do. Where do you want to begin? Yeah, I mean, w- what I saw from the Vikings early on was they were spreading it horizontally, getting the ball to their playmakers in space early to avoid the pass rush, utilizing a lot of play action. They were forcing these corners to tackle early, and they yeah. struggled with it predictably so because it's been a bugaboo for them all season, even last year too. And, you know, you take McLeod out of the mix and, and, it, and it becomes a little bit worse too. So I'd like that plan from the Vikings. And they were running play action without being able to run the ball early in the game. And it was extremely effective. And I had put out there that, you know, the Eagles are getting gashed right now for 10.4 yards per attempt on play action, 115 quarterback rating. Kirk Cousins coming into this game was throwing for 10.4 yards per attempt on play action, but was only running it like 24th out of 34 qualifying quarterbacks as far as percentage-wise. He was only doing it 19.6 frequency. So, yeah, the Vikings came out and they changed that up a little bit. And they said, okay, maybe even if our run game isn't bumping, this defense can be manipulated by play action. They can be moved. We can create space that way. We're also going to get it out into space quick and attack their weakness, which is tackling after the catch. Jim Schwartz comes out. He doesn't run the cover three that he likes to run as much. He runs the inverted cover two, the Tampa two robber we talked about against Tennessee. And Tennessee just rips him apart deep, right? Just, just, they got deep shots whenever they want him. So he comes out and he goes heavily with the cover three now against uh, the Vikings. And he's got Avante Maddox playing. Uh, middle of the field safety and the flats are wide open and and the eagles are struggling to make tackles and their secondary players i mean you're at the point now where you're saying i mean i have no idea what the time to throw was for cousins but oh my gosh there he was hit so many times that it weren't sacks and credit kirk who i've regularly said is not a good player under pressure who made like two or three insane plays against pressure just yeah. quick little dump off routes that really really spoke well uh to his ability and that was impressive but mike i look at the uh the kirk cousins chart i don't know if you've seen it yet he he attempted 37 passes eight of them which is one fourth were beyond 10 yards he attempted three <laughs> passes beyond 20 two of them to to the right side of the field where Jalen mills usually is like down the field whatever it was the Thielen one on the first drive and then the Thielen one when they were backed up against their end zone after the ajayi fumble those were two completions. And then he had hmm. a miss way down the field to Stephon Diggs. Everything else, 34 his passes were less than 20. 29 of them were less than 10. He just he, they, they, he just fed in, in, in the flats and then working the short areas of the field. That's all it was. I yeah. mean, Mike, I'm looking left of the hashes, less than 10 yards. I see 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 <laughs> completions. Wow. One incompletion. And that incompletion... Or no, wait, that incompletion isn't even counted as the the fumble that went Philadelphia's way because that was a lateral. So 13 for 14 in the left flat. There's no, you could pick any four pass rushers in the NFL and put them on a front four line 
and put them up against any offensive line in the league. When a quarterback can go 13 for 14 in a flat, the pass rush can't get there. Right. Right? And they still they still got there a, a, a lot. The press the pass rush was exactly what we thought it would be against this offensive line. It hasn't mattered all season. We haven't made a quarterback hold on to the ball, get off of their first read, and just give us more than 2.4 seconds. We haven't had a quarterback yet go over 2.4 seconds time to throw. They haven't needed to. It's just it's it's just it's so easy just to just to pick this defense apart in the short areas and then the tackling just makes everything worse. So I thought that I thought the Vikings came out with a good plan. To Minnesota's credit, kind of like what we said, you know, like you know, what is their offense? Well, they've got two really good wide receivers and what they did really really well was getting those two wide receivers on the same side together. Uh, so that Cindy Jones was on one of them. Right. And then you're not going to find – those are two top 10 receivers in the league and Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen. And when it comes to receivers who then also play in the slot, they're still two top 10, probably like top eight receivers in the league out of the slot. You know, it's not going to get – like we said, like, oh, man, like Mohamed Sanu is big ch- big test for Sidney Jones, you know, like Chris Godwin. Like <laughs> it's, uh, Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs, credit to Filippo there who really got them matched up against the young corner out of the slot, and and, and Sydney was overmatched there. Obviously, a couple big missed tackles. The second down one on Latavius Murray really stands out. It was second and eight, became third and one. Sydney whips on a missed tackle there. Darby was, I think, a little motivated. You could see Darby was playing very aggressively, very physical coming down on those wide receiver screens, and he was blowing them up, but helps got to come for him there. And then mm-hmm. even when he was asked to make plays in the open field, Darby's not a stopper, right? So he's going to drag you down five yards later, yeah. um, more so than... Uh, you know, kind of stop you where you are. So there's so much dirty yards there once you get into the Eagles secondary. Like we were saying, it's just very clearly a blueprint. You know what I mean? Like, it's uh, it's first and 10. You're backed up against the opponent's end zone. You know the rush is coming. What do you do? You throw one-on-one to Jalen uh, Mills. The little double move, right? And and the thing is, like, Jalen even played that double move against Thielen better than he usually does. He was in good position. I was thinking to myself, like, we might have a pick situation here, Mike. Like, the way Fletcher Cox hit Kirk Cousins, that ball's probably not going to be perfectly placed. Jalen turned his head, and his speed went out the window. He yep. died the mm-hmm. second he tried to turn his head. Listen, mm-hmm. if there's any evidence that he should play safety, it's that he never has to worry about turning his head ever again. <laughs> Right, because that was so bad. Oh man, it was bad. The long and the short of it is, either Philadelphia sees improved play from Jalen Mills and Ronald Darby, which is possible, or Philadelphia makes a schematic or personnel change. Uh, probably both, to be honest. Yeah. That improves their secondary. Otherwise, this very very good defensive line is going to continue to not have the impact on games that they could. Yeah. And I think there's a big difference between the way Ronald Darby has played all season and the way that Jalen Mills has played all season. And you know what pissed me off, Ben? The fact that Jalen Mills gets burned. They get down to the red zone and Mills makes a couple of plays. And what does he want to do after the play? He starts barking right in Adam Thielen's face, right in the guy that just beat him. Yeah. That just beat him like a dog. And yeah, okay, yeah, great. Yeah, you broke on some slants and some stuff. Like, there's no room to make a, a like a big time double move there. You're at low risk. Good for you. That's what you do well. What about from 20 to 20? What just happened five, six plays ago? You got roasted. How about, like Fletcher Clax probably told you to do, shut your mouth and go yes. play the next play? 
Shut your freaking mouth. And and no, but no, here's the thing. That was the third down. What happens? You get in his face and you get too live and you get a freaking penalty. What for barking your mouth because you just got burned? Like that's so dumb. With the self-awareness that he's lacking in that situation just tells me, okay, well, if you think that you like owned that drive somehow to the point where you could talk trash to the guy that just burned you, you're not going to like, when are you going to fix this freaking issue? Because Everyone knows we Ben. We talked about it last week. If I'm John DiFilippo, I'm dialing up a double move against against Jalen Mills every time, every time, and every team is doing it and it works every week. I'm done with it. It's either time to bench him or figure it out because I it's I I can't do it every week with him. Wait, we've given him a pass and and, and he's gotten crap for things that haven't been his fault in certain situations, and I've defended him in those situations rightly so. In my mind, based on what I know about the coverages, based on the press conferences and what they've said after the fact about the call and the scheme and, and all that stuff. I thought he played well in the Colts game despite getting the pass interference. All the, the other games, he's been burnt at least once on one of these things. He is an absolute liability. And if you're not going to let him get in somebody's face and prevent some of these, these freaking dude, how can you throw for 300 yards when only nine of your passes are past five yards of the line of scrimmage? I'm looking at the heat map that you're looking at right now. That's egregious. Get up in someone's face, and maybe then you won't be burned by the double. And maybe you still will, because dog, like the, it pissed me off so much that Fletcher Cox had to come over and tell him to shut the hell up. Listen, that's insane to me. That's insane. He had no, no, no history of success to be able to do that. Not this, not this season. There's no way, no way. It's it's wild because number one, like there's there's you know like uh, Jim Jim Schwartz made the joke this week, like you know Jalen's confidence. He's like, have you met Jalen? Like we don't yeah. have to worry about his confidence. He's yep. fine. Uh, so there's there's making sure your defensive backs have the confidence to go out there and play aggressively. But here's my thing: like, why do you want your corners to play aggressively, Mike? When you say like, oh, it's good for corners to be aggressive. Why is it good? Like, what's the reasoning there? Yeah, I mean, you're coming down, you're click clacking, you're making plays, you're closing on things quickly. You got that mentality to come down and shut things down. Right. So the the the, uh, the good thing about playing aggressively and coming downhill is making plays. Jalen Mills has started three, two, and and this season now for the Eagles, he has three interceptions on his career. Right. They're all last year. And we and we talk about corners that are that are high variance and they they get burnt, but at the same time they give you right. a ton of picks. Marcus Peters is one of those cornerbacks. Janoris Jenkins throughout his career has been one of those quarterback cornerbacks, right? Jalen Mills has been one of those quarterbacks without the ball production. Doesn't make any That's sense. That's the thing, to me. right? He had he went three interceptions and fourteen pass breakups last year. And it's important to note, you might think fourteen, oh, it's kind of high number. It really isn't, relatively. Number one, number two, like he had two pass breakups in this game. Both of them being kind of like throws that the, the goal was a catch and immediate tackle. These are not like high quality pass breakups. He just bumped Thielen when Thielen was trying to catch it. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it's not a huge ball production style of play. One of them digs fell down on his break. Yeah. And it's, and it's also like, you know, if these pass breakups are only going to happen when Mills doesn't have to worry about the deep areas of the field because they're in the red zone, then I mean, it's valuable because it's the red zone. Sure. But you yeah. know, it'd be nice for those to happen inside the twenties, keeping Jalen Mills aggressive and confident only brings value to my team in that aggressiveness and confidence turns into production and it doesn't for Mills. <laughs> right, like right. it does he doesn't create anything with his aggressiveness and with his uh his production or his his confidence rather he gets beat on double moves because he's playing too far forward. What the hell is going on with Rasul Douglas? That's what I want to know because if Jalen Mills is is not benched after this week, right. I think it's it's either Jim Schwartz just being incredibly stubborn. Here's my thing. I would not 
bench Mills coming into the Giants game. Simply because I do not think it is a winning formula to make Rasul Douglas star on a short week. I agree. I, now, I, I would get worried about that. I totally get that point of it. He has to be on an extremely hot seat right now. And if it and if it wasn't for that Thursday night game coming up and that short week coming up, and you haven't been right. working on this as part of a contingency plan to get Rasul Douglas some first team reps, fine. He's got to go if he doesn't produce next next game. Period. No, for sure. And and so this is why, like, you know, we talked a lot in the beginning of the show about things that we should be concerned about and things that we should actively be worrying about. And I and, and I argued that there were some things that are going on that we shouldn't be as concerned about, that it's fine, it should iron itself out. Things we should actively be worried about, and this is where I will raise my voice. Here we go. <laughs> the Eagles had Malcolm Jenkins, Rodney McLeod, Trey Sullivan, and Jeremy Reeves as their four safeties in training camp. Mm. There was an active safety market that was notably full of a few people. Let's not forget that Trey Boston wasn't signed until like June or July. The Cardinals signed him at the end of July, right? Trey Boston is a free safety mold of safety now. He can play a center field, okay? So there were people on the free safety market. They had Trey Sullivan and, and Jeremy Reeves. Sullivan isn't able to win the safety three job. So they elect to bring back with Kenny Vaccaro, I think maybe still available. He, he might have been picked up by the Titans. With Eric Reed still available, Trey Boston is gone at this point. They bring back Corey Graham on the, on the one-year deal. And then they trade for, at 53-man roster cuts, DeAndre Hall. Yeah. Which means Trey Sullivan doesn't even make the active roster. Yeah. He gets put on the practice squad. So we hold that there. The Eagles draft... With their second and third picks in the 2017 NFL Draft, two corners. One of them is Cindy Jones, who is coming off an Achilles injury. So I think naturally and understandably, you hedge that bet by drafting another corner in the 90s. And they draft, I think it was 99, I want to say, or 97. Something around there. Something around there. Yeah. yeah. They draft Rasul Douglas. Now, there are other corners on the board at this time. Cordrea Tankersley out of Clemson was on the board. There was another name that I remembered earlier that I can't remember now who's on the board. But anyway, who, players who went near this area, right? Yeah. And they, they go for Rasul Douglas, West Virginia. Now, Rasul's a 6'2", long-armed, not quick-twitch corner. He does not fit their current mold of players they've got in the building. They know that when they draft him. Right. You're now at the point where you've had cornerback and, and safety issues in multiple weeks. And the guy you signed and traded for at safety, point A, can't break in and get and get reps. Instead, you've got a fourth-round nickel corner playing free safety. And the guy you drafted in the third round of 2017 can't break in and get outside corner reps, even though you drafted him, knowing that he had that mold of player and it didn't really fit your defensive style. So my actual concern is, does Schwartz know what he's looking for in secondary players? Is he getting the right ones with Howie? Is that channel of communication open? And if he even got the ones he wanted and they're doing the things the way they wanted to do, why is the developmental process slow enough that DeAndre Holland and Russell Douglas haven't gotten looks yet? You know what I mean? Like, how is Avante Maddox taking awful angles on middle of the field throws? Understandably, not his fault. Yes. Because he's playing single high when you have DeAndre Hall, who's actually played safety for yeah. multiple years in the NFL. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you have... A guy like Jalen Mills and a guy like uh, Ronald Darby who are struggling to come up and make tackles. You can even put Sidney Jones in there because of their size. And Rasul Douglas, who is an aggressive downhill player who will ankle bite. Like, I'm not going to take that away from you. But he is definitely a better tackler than some of the stuff we've seen on the outside. A guy who produces more interceptions across college and his young NFL career than Jalen Mills. Like, what 
where are the solutions to these problems? Because leaving the same players out there on the field with the same scheme is not going to solve the problem, obviously. So you've either got one, you got to change the scheme and you got to deploy your players in a different way. We tried that against the Titans. That didn't work. Got to try some other stuff, man. Uh, or two, you got to get new players out there in the same scheme, in which case I have to ask, where are they? Right? So that's my big umbrage here. That's my big concern is you brought in guys in the past two seasons to be these depth pieces for these struggling positions. Why aren't they sealing the field yet? I like it, Ben. Both of us had nice little rants there. I think we I think we baited and switched everyone by being all calm in the middle of the show and then just like lighting things up at the end. So we'll let you, gentle listener, light things up. I think we've covered this game for right now. We've got a short week, so the turnaround from this game is going to be nice and swift. It's going to be a bit of a hard transition, I think, for everyone involved. So let's go. We'll let you guys sound off with three words. So gentle listener, we asked you, or at least the at BGN underscore radio account on Twitter asked you for three words to describe this game. Ben's got him pulled up. He's going to pull the best of them. Go for it, Ben. You have to forgive me. If y'all's was funny, I'm trying to find it. There's like 300 responses. There's 217 responses. <laughs> I did not read through all of them because I, I don't love y'all that much. BLG started out with cabbage is awful. BLG may he forever, may he forever rain. rain. Uh, started out with cabbage is awful, which is just because I told people that I like cabbage and apparently that's a big deal. At <laughs> uh, Philaticus, who's a good dude, good follow on Twitter, says burn me alive, which is, a, uh, I think, like a usual Philaticus response. Sean Fisher has one of the most liked responses at Sean underscore Fisher says roughing the passer, which, yeah, I understand the desire to want to uh, to stick on that call. Man, that was... um. That was a frustrating one. Everybody's pissed about that rule. That did not cost us the game. Yeah. I know I, you, you know me. I'm anti-blaming the game on refs. Uh, it happens. It's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Whatever. <laughs> I agree, though. I agree with you. It's, it's a bad call. Jordan Glass at King Jordan with three ends asks why the challenge. I feel like that's that's like that'd be my first question if I was in the press. It'd be like, Doug, what was up, man? Yeah, what, what happened in that communication that? there? Did you not see yeah. it on the big board? Like that type of situation? Because, you know, he doesn't have a TV right in front of his face. But yeah. yeah. Uh, Ice at my Kyle underscore Ice says we'll be okay, which I appreciate. That makes me feel better. Oh, wow. A Minnesota fan came in and said you like that, but that is unnecessary. I did okay. not like that. Brian Coulter says still uh, Super Bowl champions. Very That's true. Facts. That's a good point. Not enough whiskey from Philly Nova at JJ Burnbaum. That's a um, is there that's ever one for enough? you, Mike. Is there ever enough? No. 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 Uh, oh, I, I respect this one. At Teak underscore Wood, Zanzibar says, Wentz trying too much. And he, he just put a two right before much with no space as if that would slide by me as three words. No, sir. I caught you. <laughs> you <laughs> there- can't put a number... And try to convince me it was three words. This is cheating. And look, there, there's a little bit of that. And I thought there was a third down where he missed Aguilar on an easy one. I think it was third and 12. And, and you know, we talk about him holding on to the ball a little bit. We want to see the film a little bit, see what he was looking at downfield. But I think since the first week back, he's been perfectly fine and, and doing his job. So that's here's, my opinion. Right. Here's, here's my thing with that. I would agree with that if he didn't have, I think it was Ertz or might have been Jeffrey open and hit him true you know what i mean like it wasn't a perfect throw but he like if you're looking if that's your primary read my my thing is it was right it was right in his eyesight and that's the easy throw that's all i mean it's a minor criticism it's one play yeah Yeah. my like my thing is if that play like 15 yards if you have a 16 yard route design that's where you're watching and if you know you have the window take that throw you know what i mean i'm 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 more okay with it yeah i'm cool i'm cool with being aggressive that's fine yeah 
let's. Oh, this was. I wanted to find this one because this one made me laugh a lot. Mike at Mike Robert Rose says, "Fire Andy Reid." No, I one hundred percent agree. I one hundred percent better. <laughs> Though, shout out to Andy and the Chiefs who put the hurt on the Jaguars during the one o'clock games. Man, that was rough. Yeah, Blake Bortles is awful. How are, how are you, Blake Bortles, putting up the stats that just barely over what fifty percent, something like that, three interceptions Shut against up, the Chiefs? He threw one off his offensive lineman's head for an interception. Yeah, go ahead, Ben. Uh, I really like this one. Hashtag spread love at the problem at underscore the problem says Odell gonna feast, which I mean he's gonna get open. I don't know who's gonna throw him the football, but somebody's gonna get. He's gonna get open very frequently. Uh, and let's wrap it up with this. Because there's no way this won't get brought up during the week. Spooky Julia at JK Manring says Browns better record. Which, oh man, Eagles fans have been picking on Browns for a long time. And the Browns are 2-2-1 two, two right now. And the Eagles are 2-3. and three. It's a pretty good time. Kind of want to end this show now. Ben. Yeah. Doesn't feel good, does it? To the gentle listeners. <sighs> Thank you so much, as always, for listening to the Kiss and Solak show here on VGN Radio. We do appreciate you coming by. Never forget that every day is a good day to be alive. As always, I've been Benjamin Solak on Twitter, at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. He's been Michael Kist on Twitter, at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. Short week. Uh, this pod will be dropping for you Sunday night into Monday morning. Once the All-22 comes out on Tuesday, you can expect a reaction pod accordingly. And the previews of the Eagles versus the Giants looking at Pat Shermer's offense and the and defense. Who's the defensive coordinator of the Giants? Uh, James Betcher, the guy that we torched oh, last year with the Cardinals. Yeah, the Cardinals. Uh, poor guy. Uh, James Betcher's defense. We'll be checking those guys out for you and giving you uh, the All-22 look at that game. Of course, the BGN Radio with Brandon Lee Gowen. May he forever forever reign. And John Stolness will, of course, drop as well. That preview show will be coming, I believe, on Wednesday, Mike? Yeah, they're going to be recording it Wednesday night. We'll be dropping it Thursday during the day so you can listen in, listen in uh, while you work on Thursday to prep yourself for the game, maybe when you drive home, whatever. However you listen to your podcast. You yeah, do it during your, your life, laundry. Man. Do your thing. You, yeah. You, you, you choose. A lot of freedom you make here it easy BGN Radio. <laughs> but short week, which means short memories. Uh, Got to make sure we talk this one out and then forget about it so you can be ready for the Giants. Uh, we will have you prepared, as always, for those games. So thank you so much for listening. We will catch you tomorrow. Just want to remind you, gentle listeners, do not freak out right now. Thursday night, though, if things go wrong, I want you to smash that panic button because I'll be right there with you. We all we got, we all we need. Fly, Eagles, fly. Hey everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. My name is Bill Matz. I am the director of Fun and Games for Broad Street Hockey Radio Podcasts. And I am Kelly, the deputy managing editor of BroadStreetHockey.com. I'm Steph Driver, the NHL editorial manager for SB Nation. And I am Charlie O'Connor, lead Flyers writer for TheAthletic.com. And together we make up BSH Radio, one of the shows that you get at the SB Nation podcast family. We have a lot coming to you this year, and we want you to listen to our show. It is just an all-flyers, all-the-time show, so much content. I really hope you listen to it. It is a great piece of the SB Nation podcast family, along with all your other favorite sports. We all love hockey, specifically the Flyers. Let's go the Flyers. The hockey team, the Flyers.